Good morning to everybody watching online as well. So if you're watching online, I'd like you to participate in this activity we're gonna do. If you're sitting in the room, uh, mentally participate. So this is, uh, this is gonna make more sense to people maybe initially that are from Pennsylvania, but, but maybe not. So we're gonna do a little activity so you can just think in your head as I ask you some questions. So the big question is, how do you know if somebody is from Western Pennsylvania? So if you're not from Pennsylvania, you have to understand it's almost two states. So when you go through the tunnels on the turnpike, something magically happens and a different culture emerges, depending if you go from the east to the west or the west to the east. I grew up on the east side of the tunnels. My wife grew up on the west side of the tunnels. But there are a number of ev evidences that somebody is from western Pennsylvania. And there are variations of this, so don't argue with me, but just, just participate in a very general way. Raise your hand if you know, or you knew, let's say from childhood age, what pierogies and pizzelles were. Pizzelles are those cookies that kind of look like snowflakes that taste like licorice, that people out here love and people not from here don't love. Uh, raise your hand if you, you, if you are married, your wedding had cookies, a cookie table at the wedding, or you go to weddings that have cookie tables. Raise your hand if you thought that was normal. <laughs> if you go through those tunnels, no cookies, uh, no cookie tables at your weddings. Um, did you or your grandparents enjoy dancing to polka music? Yeah, okay, we got some good enthusiastic um, expressions there. Do you or someone you know regularly use the expression yins or some variation of yins? Just be honest. Now where I'm from, you actually use the word use, so it's use guys, not yins guys. Um, okay, here's the big test. You ready for the big test? I'm gonna spell some words and I want you to think about how you actually say these words. The first word is S-T-I-L-L. -L. Say that word out loud. Okay, another word, S-T-E-E-L. Still, same word, right? <laughs> now here's the, here's the kicker. Two words, you gotta say them together. S-T-E-E-L-M-I-L-L. -L. Still mill, right? Or steel mill if you're not from here. Okay, honest, are your moods and emotions and your overall well-being affected by how the Steelers, the Pirates, or the Penguins play? Be honest, especially when you're younger. Okay, some of you still are. Well, the point is that there are traits and evidences that you know somebody is from Western Pennsylvania. We could do Texas, we could do North Carolina, we could do different places around the country, but Western PA does have some very distinct marks and evidences. Well, we're gonna look, as we look at the book of John this morning, and we've seen this so far, that there are evidences or marks that John wants to keep revisiting that someone who says they know Jesus in a personal saving way will have these evidences or these marks. And why that's important, it's important for a number of reasons. One of the things I didn't say about people from Western Pennsylvania, what comes with this kind of colder, cloudy, Climate is a grit and a toughness for life that I think is kind of a general cultural thing that, that, that pr produces some kind of 
uh, innate endurance that is a, is a cool thing to observe and, and be a part of. Well, likewise, one of the things John's going to point out this morning is the reality of these marks or evidences of knowing Jesus. They will, pro- they will produce this, this kind of triumphant, this, this confidence that no matter how hard life gets, it will be okay for the followers of Jesus Christ, which is why I entitled the message, Genuine Triumphant Faith. So the big idea today is this. Genuine spiritual life produces a triumphant trust in God and love towards others. Genuine, so the real thing, spiritual life produces a triumphant trust, confidence in God, and love towards others. So kind of the two big ideas we're going we're gonna to see in our passage this morning is there's two primary evidences or marks of someone who really has trusted in Jesus that John wants us to really consider. The first is this. There will be a triumphant love for God and others is evidence of being born again, having God's Spirit come inside you. A love, a genuine love and affection and devotion to the Lord and a love for other people. And then the other is a triumphant trust in Jesus Christ is an evidence of being born again. So a, a real confidence that you really believe Jesus is who he says he is and you actually trust him. So we're going to kind of slowly walk through the passage this morning and consider these things. But look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So that we get to our, our two ideas there. So just a, a quick thought on the word everyone. That means everyone who calls on Jesus, who comes to Jesus, everyone, all are invited. So anyone and everyone who places their confidence in Jesus can be assured of their salvation. Now, this might seem kind of basic, so let's look at it one more time. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Belief is kind of a tricky word. So you're all sitting in chairs, and and this morning you probably came in and you just sat in the chair. You didn't think much about it. But if I would have taken one of those chairs and sat it on the stage, and I said, "Do do you believe this chair can hold you? Most of you would say, yeah. But you wouldn't really demonstrate that belief until you sat down in the chair. See, you could say, there could be a category of people that say, I believe that chair could hold me, but I'm not sitting in that chair. There's no way. Well, that's not a real, genuine belief and trust. And so when John's talking about this, he's talking about someone, a person who genuinely trusts that Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, promised from the Old Testament, is indeed the Savior. And if you believe that, and you consequently love God the Father, and you're seeking to love others, well, you have experienced the most incredible miracle that is humanly possible to experience. See, the very God who who spoke creation into existence out of nothing is the same one who gave you spiritual life. Consider this verse in 1 Corinthians 
12. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the, in the Spirit of God ever said Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one. So if you not just say it, but you believe it at the, the deepest level of your core that Jesus is your Lord and King, the only reason you believe that is because God's Spirit has come inside of you and made you alive. And John revisits this at times. He revisits this in his book of John, the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3. The reason this is such a big deal is because by nature, the Bible says we are born spiritually flatlined. So if you, you, you picture a hospital monitor with the straight flat line, that's how we all were born. And so if we have an affection and a trust and a confidence in Jesus, the only reason that happened is that because at one moment in time, the God who made heaven and earth took the paddles and gave us spiritual life, infused us with spiritual life. We were made alive. We were born again, turned from our sins, and trusted in Jesus. And what John's going to get at, and we're going to see this in, in detail, is he wants us to make the connection that if you've experienced salvation, if you've turned from your sins, you've trusted in Jesus, you would say you're a Christian, you know God's love, and you love him in response. Well, he wants us to know that someone who is genuinely made alive will also have a desire to follow him to listen to him, to do what he says to do and not do what he says not to do. And that might not be the hardest part. The hardest part, and John is getting after this in his letter, is someone who is genuinely a Christian is actually called to love their brothers and sisters, to actually like other Christians. Now you could say, and for some of us, it might be easy to say, well, I, you know, I, I, sure, I love my Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, but do you like them? Do you have an affection for them? Do you want to be around them? And that's what John is going to get at today. And it's not just your Christian brothers and sisters that believe from top to bottom everything you believe about everything. No, it's any Christian brother or sister who is called on the name of Jesus. And you know yourself, you're, you're, you're a messy Christian. I'm a messy Christian. You put us all together, we're a messy bunch. You put us with other churches, that's a messier bunch. You put us with all Christians throughout the world, that's a messy, messy, messy bunch that Jesus loves dearly, shed his blood for, and he wants us to have affection for one another. So let's look at the first point. We're already kind of into it, but genuine, triumphant faith is expressed in a love for God and a love for others. Genuine, triumphant faith. Look at verses 2 and 3. By this, so how do we know if somebody is from western Pennsylvania? By this, all the things that we just talked about. How do we know if somebody has been made alive by God himself? By this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. 
and his commandments are not burdensome. How do we know we love God? Well, we love God by, by obeying him, by doing what he says. If you were here last week or you watched online last week, Jason had a rather complicated math equation uh, to explain uh, the way John was thinking through things. And uh, about five of you in the room understood it, and the rest of us didn't. It was a good, good example. I'm not saying that, Jason. But um, I'm going to give you an easier math equation today. You ready? Trust in Jesus equals salvation. Trust in Jesus. Faith in Jesus equals salvation and that will result in a growing obedience to God. Trust in Jesus equals salvation, which equals, which will produce a change, a growing progressive change in our character. Why that's so important to understand is because this can get twisted really easy. So an often uh, equation that even Christians will, will buy into is faith in Jesus plus my good deeds equals salvation. And that's a works-based salvation. The Bible is crystal clear that we are not saved by our works. The good news of Christianity is it's not by our works that we are saved. It is by Jesus. So it's faith or a trust in Jesus, really believing that he is God, that he died in our place, that he rose from the grave, that he ascended to heaven, really believing that, and that equals salvation, and an evidence that we have been saved is we begin to change from the inside out. So it's not the changing that saves us, it's not the maturity that saves us, it's Jesus who saves us. But when he saves us, we begin to change. We're far from perfect, we have many areas to grow in, but we're, 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 we're changing. And John wants Christians to know that when God saves us, he doesn't just legally cancel our criminal record, our spiritual record against God. He actually changes us from the inside out. It's one of the great surprises that I had when I first called on Jesus, that I could actually be different than I was. From the inside out. And this was the promise from the Old Testament that the authors referred to as the new covenant. The new transactional agreement that will happen when the Messiah comes. And Jesus was the Messiah who came. And so listen to this Old Testament passage. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, the Exodus event, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. This happened to you if you are a Christian. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each 
one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. There's a personal relationship and experience of God. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, wash it all away, and I will remember their sins no more. See, the beauty of what Jeremiah is referring to of the new covenant is that there is life put inside of us when we are born again. And that life softens and changes our desires from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit in us then gives us power to actually be different. So when we think about obeying God's commands, don't think of them in the way of this is my way I get God's approval. This is the way I get into heaven. No, the way we have God's approval and the way we can be certain we're going to heaven is by trusting in his provision, which is his son, Jesus. So what I, I think is a helpful thing, when you think about the commands of God, picture a big circle. And inside the circle is where blessing and joy and satisfaction is. So that inside the circle is, let's say, the obedience of obeying the Lord and obeying his commandments. So when you are inside that circle, you are experiencing the blessing and the joy of obeying the Lord. And when you go outside that circle, you are, doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but you are outside of what God said is right and good, and that will choke your joy. It will usually produce shame, regret, disappointment, but consequences, maybe the discipline of the Lord, maybe legal consequences. So when we're inside, there is joy and satisfaction. When we're outside of those things, there is all the heartbreak and brokenness that the rest of the world experiences. So we want to obey the Lord. We want to follow his commandments. It's a good thing. But sometimes we, we just put them at the wrong place in the equation. So, you know, if you are being raised in a Christian home, or you were raised in a Christian home, or you're raised in any home that just had some parameters, that was for your good, not to ruin your life. So if you, I'm sure I thought this, I probably said this, my, my dad and stepmom are here today, I probably said, you're ruining my life. You're taking away all my fun. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do chores. Uh, but the purpose of those things wasn't to ruin my life. It was for my good and for my protection. That's the way you should see God's commandments. Look at verse 4. For everyone who is born, has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, is triumphant against the, the snares and traps and temptation and deception and lies of the world. A commentator named Simon Kistemaker said this, All who have their birth in God have overcome the world and therefore can claim victory 
already. All who have their birth in God have overcome the, the world and therefore can claim victory already. This is, a, I think, a hard concept for us to get our minds around. It would be the equivalent of you participating in a sporting event that you know you've already won. The final score has been settled and your team is the winning team. Now you gotta go through the activity, but you won. As Christians, you can be confident that you will overcome the world and all that's in it. All the disappointments, heartbreaks, distractions. If Jesus is your king, He's already conquered everything. You're with Him. You will make it triumphantly. No matter how you feel. No matter how you feel at a present moment. See, your, your hope isn't in yourself. It's in Him. Your confidence isn't in yourself. It's in Him. Listen to what He said. This is Jesus talking in John 16, 33. I have said to you, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have difficulties of every sort. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And if you're with him, you will be triumphant. No matter what's in your mind, no matter how gloomy your outlook might be. Think about it this way. If you're familiar with the Bible, there's a, a chapter in the Bible called Hebrews 11 that, that a lot of people refer to as the, the great hall of faith. So it's all these different Christians or followers of God from the Old Testament that put their trust in the Lord. The one that they could not see and just were obedient and followed and clung to his promises. And they did so without the advantage of the clarity that we have of Jesus as our triumphant king and captain. But I would take some time this week to read and be stirred by them. See, Jesus is the only one that is going to be perfectly stay within that circle of obedience. He's the only one that could ever do that. We're going to drift. We're going to be outside. When he found us, we were, some of us were miles outside that circle, and he brought us into his kingdom and into his family. But he's the one who is triumphant. So if you remember a few weeks ago, see, it's not just you guys that have your phones on. <laughs> Me too. My brother-in-law wants to know. Uh, how long we'll be staying at his house and if we'll be celebrating my sister's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Brandy. Um, so a few weeks ago, we were in this passage in, in um, 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide Forever. So the things that sparkle and dazzle and try to get our attention and, and take us away from the Lord and take us outside of that circle of God's blessing and obedience, Jesus is the only one who perfectly did that. And so we trust in Him 
And God's Spirit is slowly changing us and strengthening us and empowering us to be followers. Think of it this way. Have you, this is going to make more sense to those of you who like to fish, but um, I like to trout fish. My dad and I would trout fish when I was young. We do lots of fishing of, of different kinds. Uh, but sometimes people call palominos, which are like golden trout, they call them fool's gold because oftentimes in a trout stream there's a very large palomino that seems to be bigger than every other fish there. And um, you can see it better because of the color, or I guess lack of color, that makes it look golden or yellow. So you're looking at this fish, and you can spend all day trying to catch this fish. And for some reason, they innately are able to tell at least the ones that grew to be that big, what is the real food that's going to be enjoyable to them and they're going to grow and strengthen and not be in a frying pan? And what is the fake food? What has hooks uh, underneath the good smells and colors? And so that's how we want to be as we grow and mature as Christians, that the things, the counterfeits that come to distract us and take us away from the Lord we're able to see through it. We can see what will really genuinely satisfy and what will be inevitably filled with hooks and snares. And at, at its worst, will put us on the fillet table where we're, we're feeling guilty, we're feeling broken, we're, we're not what God has intended for us to be. See, God wants us to live in obedience to him, and he wants us to love others. Look at uh, verse 3 again. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Who knows our mission statement? You can say it out loud. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Good job. Well, if you think about that, you think you pick any one of these, it could feel very burdensome. Okay, I need to love God perfectly in thought, in word, in deed, every moment of my waking day. Oh, that, that feels a little heavy. I need to love others. I need to be kind to them. I need to be thoughtful of them. I need to not just commit bad things against them, but possibly do good things for them. You just take this room alone and you ask the question, am I perfectly loving everybody in this room? And then you take that into the town and into the city and into the, the entire nation and into the world. And um, I don't know about you, but this time of year, we get every good Christian organization is sending letters and asking for money. It's not a bad thing. But if, you're, if you have a tender conscience, you could, you could just feel like sinking or you just give all your money away. But it can begin to feel burdensome. And then you get to this one, if you didn't already feel guilty, reach the world. That means I need to introduce people to Jesus who don't know Jesus. And these can begin to feel weighty. But that's not how we're to think about it. See, see Jesus said that his burden is light. We're to throw our cares and concerns on him. And as Jason reminded us last week, the anchor and the motivation for all of these things, to love God, love others, to reach the world, has to be what John says in 1 John 4, 10, and 11. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, meaning when Jesus hung on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf, and it was expiator. It was removed from us, so we can never be eternally punished because if you've trusted in Jesus because Jesus took the wrath that we deserved. And he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the starting place, rather than thinking of these three things, is being overwhelmed by the love that God has shown you. And let that be your motivation, to love God, to love others, to reach the world. Rather than feel like you're on some kind of performance treadmill that you just got to do, 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 and you just can't keep up with. No, the Lord loves you. He's paid for your sins. Now, respond. Love him. Love others. Seek to reach the world. See, God will help you. Genuine spiritual life produces a triumphant trust in God and love toward others. So we're going to move towards the, the next point. Let me say one other thing, because we've been hitting the subject of love so much in this letter, because John keeps hitting it. What we don't want as your pastors is that you misunderstand. So what, the, what John is, is not saying, and what the Bible is not saying, is that love is the same as um, putting yourself in a position where you become the, the victim of abuse or um, hurtful words or be somebody's doormat. That's not the idea of love. See, we have to hold the Bible in tension. See, the Lord is really, really clear throughout the entirety of the Bible that the marginalized, the outcast, the victimized are very dear and precious to the Lord. And what is sad and just the reality of human nature is evil men or women will take the Bible, and twist it and say things that are just not true. And they'll use it against people that are being harmed. Well, if you really were a Christian, you would love me. Well, love in that case may be putting some boundaries up, some protective things around, drawing lines that you may not do that. You may not speak to me that way. This has to stop, whatever that is. So we wanted to just give a qualifier there. And if you have questions about that and how to work this out, particularly those of you watching online or in the room that are in difficult situations, we want to help you think through that. Um, and don't want God's Word to be used as a weapon against you. Second point. Genuine, triumphant faith is expressed by continual trust in Jesus Christ. An ongoing trust. An ongoing confidence. So it's not just the entry point I turn to Jesus, but I've continued to follow, believe, and trust in him. Look at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus is the hope of the world which is why we week after week beg and plead with those of you who have not yet trusted in Jesus to trust in him. 
John's going to conclude this chapter by making a case that Jesus is the one and only to trust in, that can bring salvation and hope and really give you triumph in this life and life to come. And he, and he does it in sort of a, a technical, clever, clever way. So I want you to picture a courtroom scene as I read verses 6 through 9. So we've got a judge, we've got a jury, we've got people in the room. He says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. There are three witnesses that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he bore concerning his Son. So you might be thinking, what in the world are they talking about? Uh, what they're talking about is in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, they, the book of Deuteronomy, God's law taught that don't trust one single witness. There needs to be at least two or three witnesses for something to hold up. So in Deuteronomy 19, it says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So the three witnesses that John is calling upon, that we might not know what they are at first glance, is the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And you're probably like, well, the Spirit's probably the Holy Spirit, so that's correct. Water and blood, so it's debated, but I'm persuaded that the water stands for Jesus' baptism, and the blood stands for and represents his uh, death on the cross where he shed his blood for our sins. So we're going to call it witness A, witness B, and witness C. So witness A, the water. Remember what happened when Jesus got baptized by John the baptism. It was a baptism for repentance. John was saying, everybody turn from your sins. We need to prepare the way for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah comes who is Jesus, and he gets baptized in a baptism for repentance. He didn't need to repent of anything. He did no wrong. At that baptism, Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven says this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So John's saying witness A, the baptism of Jesus where God the Father commends Jesus is exhibit A, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Witness B is when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he made an end to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament once for all. Because his blood was unique. It was the blood of God himself. And by his blood, all sins, past, present, and future, were washed away for anyone who looked to him. And when he died, he didn't remain dead. He actually rose from the grave. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, 
There is no forgiveness of sins. See, the promise of the new covenant from Jeremiah was there will be a once for all forgiveness and cleansing. And that is done by witness B when Jesus shed his blood. Witness C is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus is the promised rescuer and deliverer. So we have three witnesses that were irrefutable. And John is saying, you can have great, great, great confidence in putting your trust in this unique and perfect and precious Son of God who is God Himself, come to earth. He passed every test. He died in our place. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. One day, He's coming back. And right now, He is interceding on the behalf of those he shed his blood for. Look at the last three verses. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. God's made it very clear. So you're either Believing what God has made very clear, or you're by your actions and your beliefs saying, God's a liar, he's not true. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that life is in his son. The moment you trusted in Jesus, you were given eternal life. And you will triumphantly make it through this world to heaven with God forever. And then John concludes this section with a reminder and a warning, whoever has the Son has life. So that's the blessing and the reminder. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And if that's you, do not let another day of your life go by where you have not called out to the name of Jesus. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray and the band can come up. The big idea this morning is genuine spiritual life produces a triumphant trust in God and love towards others. Let's pray.